I'd like to start off with a memory quiz. I'm going to recite 10 one-syllable, three-letter words, and once I'm done, see if you can recite them back. Now, don't worry about trying to get them in the same order. Just focus on trying to get them all. If you need to, pause the episode to give yourself some time to recite. Ready? Here's the 10 one-syllable, three-letter words. Cug. Wes. Gop. Ricks. Neb. Math. Vog. Kij. Dus. Zock. For those of you who attempted the quiz, how'd you do? Well, what you just took is a quiz using memory, obviously, but you took one similar to the test that Dr. Herman Ebbinghaus gave in the late 1800s. And around the 1880s, the study of memory was considered experimental at best, and through his research, came up with what came to be known as the forgetting curve. The forgetting curve is sort of simple, and something I am sure a lot of us sort of know intuitively, that stronger memories last longer in our brains, and the length of time that passes after learning something can greatly diminish what we remember. Dr. Ebbinghaus came up with two stronger methods to retain learning and memory. One being better memory techniques, like mnemonics, music, organization, and so on. And the second method was that of active recall through repetition, but more specifically, spaced repetition. Spaced repetition focuses on repetitive practices of more difficult topics of learning and consistently teaching them throughout. The study of memory and retention, including the forgetting curve from over 100 years ago, has helped to shape one of the fastest growing educational practices in the past decade, microlearning. Welcome to the Instructor's Kit Bag, a podcast for all educators hosted by Army Logistics University in Fort Lee, Virginia. I am your host, Nate Ball, and today's episode, we're going to dive into microlearning, what it is, what are some great uses for it, and what are some good practices with getting it going in our workplace or even for the classroom. Microlearning has been around for a while and has been used in many ways long before someone adopted the term for it. Essentially, microlearning is delivering content in small, short segments. This can help students learn larger concepts, can be useful for supplemental information, or to help digest tougher subject matter. Most of the time, microlearning is done in formats that shouldn't take the learner longer than five to 10 minutes to consume. So what type of activities would be considered microlearning? Well, the short answer is all media that can be consumed around five minutes. So short videos, quizzes, text and illustrations, infographics, or games could be considered microlearning. As long as the content is short, meaningful, and targets a specific learning criteria, then microlearning is occurring. If you've ever trained on software products and used their online training, you'll notice that they have many tutorial videos that run from three to six minutes long. Many software companies have found that chunking new information in smaller segments is more digestible to their consumers. And this leads us to the benefits of microlearning. Educators who utilize microlearning will find that chunking information in smaller segments is less daunting to students to complete. Instead of having them watch a 20-minute video on Norse mythology, what if they watched five four-minute videos instead? Or how about taking an hour-long training video and revising the content to five six-minute videos, each with specific focus that can be supplemented with interactive infographics, polls, or even quizzes? This chunking of information will increase learner engagement simply by having them focused on short, targeted content rather than spacing out over a longer format. Microlearning can also be developed to help knowledge retention through short quizzes or review. For example, many language apps use short lessons to teach a new language. 
These short lessons are interspersed with short stories, short quizzes, or short targeted review. In this manner, the learner interacts with the new knowledge in multiple ways. A great aspect of microlearning is by its very nature lending itself to asynchronous self-paced learning. Students are able to access the information at any time and can repeat the process as much as they would like. Didn't quite grasp the concept of the ship of Theseus paradox? No problem, just replay the five minute video or review the interactive PDF. This is preferable to sifting through a vast library of hour long assignments. Now microlearning isn't just used to add more activities to learning or training. It can also be used for supplemental purposes. Whether it's pre-course work, context filler, or review, microlearning can be activities that work in tandem with the traditional coursework. For example, in teaching several lessons on Newton's third law, action and reaction, the lesson plan may call for a discussion on acceleration and its relationship with the mass of the system. The microlearning pre-work could be a five-minute review on Newton's laws of motion or a short quiz on kinematics. Supplemental microlearning could also be about vehicles using alternative energy sources or go into more detail in transitive dynamics of motion than what they went through in class. Okay, so those are some of the benefits, but there has to be some drawbacks, right? Well, like everything else in education, two possible issues could be resources and time. It is entirely possible that not all resources are available to aid in creating microlearning. We all know as educators that education is run on begging, borrowing, and stealing. If an educator can't find a short video, a previously made quiz, or any other short form content, this means they will be the ones creating it. This isn't necessarily a bad thing, but not everyone has the knowledge, skill, or help in creating short form videos or other media. And it's easy to say that one could learn how to do it to create their own media, but this brings us to another possible drawback, time. As with any content that has not been previously created, the educator needs time in order to develop. And this is either creation out of thin air or compiling what a student may need takes time. Time to map out the formats, develop or compile the content, modify any of those as needed, or then posting and inserting into any already established curriculum could be daunting. But just like Rome wasn't built in a day, lesson plans and courses aren't always either. The good news, however, is that creating a microlearning environment could give your lesson plan or your course a jumpstart and help you push to develop yourself more as a training developer and as a teacher and educator. Oh yeah, would you like to know another great microlearning activity? How about a short form podcast? You know, kind of like the instructor's kitback. See, microlearning comes in many formats and can be used in multiple ways. But if microlearning is not something you're instituting in your curriculum right now, you could very well be missing out on some exciting new ways to engage your students. Okay, now, if you need to pause the episode again, please do, but do you remember the 10 one-syllable three-letter words I gave you at the beginning of the episode? Give it a shot if you can. Okay, how do you think you did now? Probably not very well. Maybe if I repeated the words multiple times throughout this episode or didn't fill the content with a bit of information, you probably would have done better. Before we end, though, I wanted to say one more thing about Dr. Herman Ebbinghaus. It is true that he was a pioneer in using psychology to study memory, even founding an experimental psychology laboratory at the University of Berlin in 1886, and furthered advancements of psychological study by co-founding the literary establishment of the Journal of Psychology and Physiology of the Sense Organs. What's interesting about the initial tests and studies on memory, specifically the memorization of increasingly difficult nonsense words, kind of like the list we did at the beginning of the episode, 
is that throughout his primary works, Dr. Ebenhaus only had one subject in his study. And that's right, Dr. Herman Ebenhaus's sole subject for his study on memory was Dr. Herman Ebenhaus. Thank you so much for listening in to the Instructor's Kit Bag, a podcast for all educators hosted by Army Logistics University. I am your host, Nate Ball, and if there's one thing you should remember, see what I did there? It's never stop teaching and never stop learning.